0: I do not make silly noises.
1: It's not what I heard. No. (laughs) Artistic Whispers
2: Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net With original music by Danny Shade This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, listener discretion is advised. And now, Dealing In, Episode 7. Hello and welcome to Dealing In. Dealing is the feedback show for the works and worlds of myself, J. Daniel Sawyer, on which I get harassed by all of you and my friends sitting here with far too much time on our hands. I'm currently podcasting the serial novel Predestination and Other Games of Chance. This podcast is a serialized story, duh, I just said that, that turns on surprises. So if you have not heard up through episode 21, go back, wait, no, stop, turn back until you've finished. And with me today
1: are Chris Lester of the Metamore City podcast found at
3: www.metamorecity.com. Kitty Kean, one of the many random voices on Antithesis.
0: And Gail Carriger, and I am a po- big podcasting fan, and I am also an author in the whole written word genre. Um, my book is called Soulless. It is a comedic vampire meets steampunk meets P.G. Woodhouse book, and it is coming out through Orbit US in October of this year. Wow.
2: Excellent.
1: I can't wait. The more you tell me about it, the oh, more I excited I get.
3: <laughs> You're making me want to read a romance, which is pretty um extraordinary. For me too.
0: <laughs> That's because it's silly. Mm.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah, silly. silly is good. Silly
2: is good.
1: Well, all romance is silly, but it's better when it <laughs> knows that it's silly.
2: <laughs> well, farcical. <then>. <laughs> farcical <laughs> yeah, exactly. indeed. Indeed. We've been at this for three hours already, so we're all kind of punchy, so please forgive us if we sound dumber than normal. But that's part of the fun. Um, we're up through episode 21 in the story. We're going into the tail end of act five, and everything is about to blow up. So, um, Literally or figuratively? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Damn. <laughs> So let's uh, catch up on the feedback. Chris, could you start us off, please? Certainly. This
1: message is from Benjamin Clifford. Subject, awesome story, even when it repeats. Hey, Dan. <laughs> love the podcast. Love the book even more. Especially enjoy listening to the feedback shows when you, Kitty, and Chris and either are either drunk or very giggly. I would imagine that you Hi. Li- I would imagine that you are right now, or that you just emerged from a 10-minute-long philosophical discussion. Either way, I was writing in to tell you about a small error I caught in the last episode. It was episode 12. I listened to it anyway, and I was very confused because I could swear I had heard it before. My confusion was confirmed when I got to the end and heard your sultry voice telling me that I had finished listening to episode 12. I imagine that you were laughing and hoping that no one would catch it. <laughs> well, I have fooled you once again.
0: <laughs> Did you have a dyslexic moment?
2: I actually, uh, one of the reasons I'm not good at math is that I'm, I transpose numbers terminally. Mm. And um, Yeah, it was uh, five in the morning <laughs> after frack party. Oh, ah. <laughs> I had just finished the mix down. And I posted it with great triumph. I proceeded off to bed to come back in the morning with 20 emails saying, I got episode 12. (laughs) What the hell is going on here? (laughs) So I fixed it. And uh, by the time any of you hear this, it should be fine. And if it's not fine anymore, Mm -hmm. there's a second post saying episode 21 fix on the feed. Just in case.
1: Ben continues. Hope you guys are having a grand old time and drinking lots of wine for me, since I am too young for it, but not for this podcast. <laughs> if you are not drinking right now, take a break, go get some wine, and start drinking.
3: Yeah, hey, we do have wine.
2: If we have wine and scotch. Would you like any?
0: I suppose I have to drive shortly, don't I? None of us are going to go on for
3: well, another two be... hours. Yeah. <laughs> I can have a glass
2: of an wine. An hour and a half for two hours at least.
1: You'll yeah. be sober by the time we're done.
0: Okay. I'm totally going to have a glass of wine.
2: Okay. And now we enter the alcoholic part of our program. <laughs> mm.
3: We have taken
2: a small break in order to get liquored up, as instructed by the previous uh, by feedbacker. The message,
1: yeah, a message from Ben Clifford.
2: From Benjamin Clifford, which just goes to show <laughs> you the kind of profound effect that fans can have on authors. You've driven all three of us to drink. <laughs> just by sending us. in that all four of us to drink.
0: <laughs> Wait, Dan, you're not drinking, Dan. Ah.
2: Oh, oh he's I've drinking. i got my scotch.
1: So, Ben... This is maybe the third or fourth time that I have ever had scotch. This one is for you. (laughs)
2: Yes, And this scotch does conform to all the rules. (laughs) What
3: are the rules? Tell us again
2: what the rules are. (laughs) Oh, God.
3: No,
2: no, 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 no. I'm going to save the rules for Down Down From from (laughs) Ten.
1: You will find out in which episode is that going to be. Oh, probably episode one or two. Episode one or two, you will find out the rules Rules for for scotch. Then they are hilarious and wrong <laughs> and strangely applicable. Um, okay.
3: Um, Kitty! Okay, and this is feedback from Adam. <laughs> Dan, just so you know, waiting for book two of Antithesis is already driving me fucking insane. Yes! 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 I know you're not done releasing the first book, <laughs> but Jesus Christ, it drives me insane when I have to wait <laughs> seven days for another episode. <laughs> waiting months? It's gonna, like, a fucking bonobo coming down off a six month drug induced orgy (laughs) and to make it worse I have two choices neither that I fucking like when you do get to releasing that second book do I A listen week by week and go insane waiting for new episodes or B wait until you're done so I can appreciate the book's story arcs more I know the book will be even more kick ass listened to consecutively just (laughs) like TV shows are better on DVD and not drug out for six months on TV but I can't fucking wait until you're done That would be like waking up on Thanksgiving morning, smelling the turkey, and not being able to eat. Just wanted to point out that you're a major fucking prick for putting your readers into such a predicament.
2: Thank you. Who is that from? Adam. I am happy to be an asshole in that fashion.
1: And uh, just and in good case, at it. because we didn't mention it earlier, this episode may contain a huge amount of fucking profanity. Well, it says that so... on, the, on,
2: the, on the opening credits. Ah, There's, okay. This, this podcast contains... Yeah, I was going to say, language. Dan
0: has that warning
2: yes. in place. Good. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I recorded it once because I don't like saying it every time. Mm. Yes, mm. I'm a dirty-minded asshole.
1: Well, apparently so are your listeners.
2: <laughs> well, you know, what is it? Uh, like attract like. Mm.
1: <laughs> My Maybe email going to make
2: me worried. <laughs> 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 or me. <laughs> oh, sorry guys. I now have three people staring daggers at me from around the room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we <We're> do. <doomed. laughs>
0: My email is from someone named Elden. Oh,
2: uh, Elden KR
1: of the Banter Over a Cigarette podcast. Yes, oh. indeed.
0: Oh, okay. I've been catching up on antithesis, had to go back and listen to some old episodes again. I'm still impressed by your story and your narration. A lot of podcasters just do a straight read with their narration, but you put emotion into it. A man of your caliber, I feel, will be able to go a long way with your talents. Anyway, I
1: I can never hear the words man of your caliber without thinking of playtesting.net's death by cliche. (laughs) cliche.
0: (laughs) Anyway, just listened to a couple of the feedback shows. It's always good to know that I can make J.D. JD Sawyer blush.
2: Well, you just did it again, Eldon. Can't wait till you come off hiatus. I would love to come on your show. Mm.
1: All right. The next one is a long one. ...from our good friend David De Zwierich,
2: ...the Canadian with whom I have been feuding.
1: Hi, Dan. You win. Your feedback on my letter was intelligent, thoughtful, interesting, elucidating, illuminating, and educational. Between you and Chris, you fully addressed my points... ...and almost convinced me that our differences are regional rather than historical and value-based. <laughs> I do agree with you that a union, like the EU, would be beneficial and logical... However, like the EU, I still think that our differences mandate a certain level of political and domestic independence.
2: Oh, I agree. I'm all for local control when possible.
1: For instance, although the EU foreign poli- although EU foreign policy exists, each country has their own individual approaches and nuances. I thought that I was knowledgeable in U.S. history, but obviously I am not. What I found most interesting and educational was your explanation on how Reconstruction after the Civil War caused past and present effects that helped to explain the difference between the U.S. and Canada slash Western Europe in items ranging from health care to the death penalty. I have spent some time along the Georgia-Alabama border, and although I was impressed by the friendliness of the people, your analysis explains a certain undercurrent that was palpable." What started as a semi-serious lark, giving you a hard time for your use of the United States of North America in antithesis, has ended up as a serious and respectful discussion. Thank you, and please also thank Chris.
2: Thank you, Chris. You're welcome, Dan.
0: <laughs> and Chris is looking very civilized with his scotch in his hand and his little pinky kind of sticking out.
2: Pinky's up makes everything civilized. It's
0: very important.
1: <laughs> Dan, uh, David continues, However... This has fully trumped the raison d'etre for the death threat that I had prepared for you, expecting a flippant, arrogant answer to my tongue-in-cheek attack. Ruined!
2: What a way to treat your fans. I know, it's
1: terrible. I sent you evidence, facts and figures, and even comments by fellow Yanks that Canada is different, different than the U.S.? David different from the U.S., especially in areas of health, violence, life expectancy, and even the security of the banking system, all the reflection of our differing values, notwithstanding our admittedly close physical, economic, political, historical, and family ties— I expected asinine and arrogant comments substantiating your belief that Canadian culture and values are similar to American ones. Notwithstanding all the evidence sent to you by yours truly, and no doubt many of the other insulted Canadians.
2: By the way, some of that evidence was a wonderful, very long article by Fareed Zakaria, who is really, really sharp. and always
1: Yes, like to read. yeah, Fareed. So... As you yourself request on innumerable innumerable occasions, (laughs) at least three or four, I prepared the worst, most violent, and most appropriate death threat that this proud Canadian can devise for an arrogant (laughs) yank. All Americans are yanks to Canadians. Who has, may I use the word, the audacity to insult Canadians? And now it is all for naught! But then again, perhaps you deserve it in any case for raining on my parade. So here it is. Ready? Ready. May you move to Winnipeg! Oh, you bastard. All I know is that before the war, he was the Green Guardian, part of the Prairie Patrol, and the greatest hero Winnipeg had ever known.
2: That's not saying very much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh we love
3: the Red Panda.
2: Yes, indeed. To all of our <laughs>
1: listeners in
2: Winnipeg. By the way, that was from the Red Panda at com. Ah,
1: uh. To all of our listeners in Winnipeg, I, Chris Laster, apologize on behalf of both David and Dan. They are truly barbarians who do not appreciate the cultural and historical significance of the great city of
2: Winnipeg.
0: And you can send death threats to Dan. That's
2: right. Send death threats to Dan at Mm jdsawyer.net. David
1: continues... When I lived in Yellowknife, way up there on the map, find Edmonton and go north. Way north. We refused to travel to Winnipeg in the winter because it's too cold there. Yet I've been on the Arctic Islands in December. Below is a sur- periodically circulating email on the subject. Enjoy. Bestest, David. Written in Fahrenheit for the metrically challenged and ignorant <laughs> yanks.
2: And I'm not going to have you read the attachment because it was a very long and yes. and funny description of the weather and climate in Winnipeg.
3: I think I might have a reply to that from David. Oh, yes.
2: I, w- well, what I, my reaction to that when I got that email was I tweeted to him, best death threat ever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I remember seeing that and um... – he replied, what a great honor to be so complimented by a frequent recipient and a connoisseur of death threats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, I've got another long one. Okay. And mine is from Tristan Johnson. Hello, Dan. This is Guess Who? I guess I will start with the transhuman points. Oh, oh, I see. We're going to get existential. Mm. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I guess I will start with the transhuman points. Obviously, that email was sent before some of the more recent chapters and unaware of similar discussions. I want to tell you I agree with your statement about singularity technology and how class won't be as big a factor as a lot of people try and pass off. I think I side that general scientific alarmism will lead to a bit of a divide between people who accept it fully and those who reject it on theological fear jurassic park based grounds (laughs) there will of course be the largest segment which falls between the two taking in the technologies to varying degrees what i'd be interested in seeing is seeing the popular people i just mentioned are there people who embrace singularity technology and use it to its fullest potential are there people who completely reject any form of it what places in society do these people occupy and where do they stand on each other I'd be interested in hearing about that as my universe took a more black and white approach that I'm revising. Mm.
2: Yes, there are such folks on either end of the spectrum. Um, One of the transhumanists, the one in the existing cast who has yet to be revealed, is a full transhumanist. And the other is uh, the other. There is a whole big group of those who utterly and completely reject all singularity technologies. They live on the moon and they become a very big deal in book three. Is there any sort of culture that
1: um, is into like radical body modification? Yes. With, like the like I'm thinking like the furry subculture.
2: Furries don't do radical body. Models. They
1: that well that depends on which ones you talk to because there's a number I, I used to be um, writing quite extensively in the furry community, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are holding on, looking with great expectation to the, the days day of trans to okay. the day when they
2: can. Um, I I don't have furries in the book. I mm-hmm. uh, don't have any plans for furries in the book. But there are divergent, uh, nascently divergent evolutionary strains in the human race. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have deliberately engineered themselves to live in gravity-free environments particularly. Mm. Um, Quaddies? Yeah, who who pretty much just, just travel through space and don't ever get near gravity well. Mm-hmm. Um, they... Don't come into play till quite a bit later, um, and and there's all sorts of fun other stuff mm-hmm. that I don't want to get into because I don't want to spoil it. I'm, I'm thinking
1: of like the baton hermaphrodites from uh, from Lois and Master Bugold's uh, Vorkosigan saga.
2: Where, I haven't read that mm, one yet. And oh, you, you you've told me about it at great length.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff.
2: Next
0: point of discussion was the discussion about the U.S. and A. and the difference. The differences in culture mentioned. I agree with you for the most part, and your history definitely put me in my place for a few things. The only things I could point out would be the bigger cultural difference between the U.S. and Mexico, as the language and cultural barrier would be a big hurdle for all the nations in this blanket country.
2: Oh, you know, I've lived in L.A. and San Diego, and I don't see it. It's a bigger hurdle, but it's not that big a hurdle. Yeah.
1: I mean the, we're already living in an increasingly bilingual uh country where Well, California fl- is yeah, Spanish absolutely. speaking yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, you have to be able to to be, you know, bilingual to be to be able to get on everywhere here.
0: In fact, I would think Mexicans socially would be more on board for a union with the rest of Latin America. In the long run it makes for an interesting discussion topic. The subtle tapestry of culture that makes up the new world is an interesting one indeed. Last point is the name United States of North America. Really? We couldn't go with the conspiracy theorist's favorite North American (laughs) Union or something?
2: There's a reason I didn't go with North American Union and that's it.
0: I think even future people would feel a bit of a bias would be in the term United States, even if it logically applies to the name of the nation.
2: Well, that's true, but I'm a biased American, and besides, I personally don't like inventing that many new words. Mm-hmm. It takes someone who is really good at it to be able to pull it off and not disorient the readers. And that was something I didn't feel like I wanted to put a lot of effort into the name of the country because it would just disorient people mm-hmm. for to no good effect. I do wonder. Um, oh, by the way, the that. Latin America, uh, yeah. the North, the United States of North America goes from Canada to Costa Rica. Oh. Includes all the all the way. Well, actually, maybe, maybe down to Panama. Actually. Yeah, because Panama has yeah. got
1: really close ties with the United yeah. States.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it ends at the Panama Canal, and that's where the the South American Alliance starts. Gotcha. Um, you could do like so,
0: North American Consortium or something like well, that. That's not
2: a bad idea. Yeah. You know, always there's, like always, the there's always the print version of the book. Exactly. Right? Well, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. This find and replace is a glorious thing. Mm. The knackers. <laughs> <laughs> knackers? North American Consortium. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
3: feeling <laughs> really knackered tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: We talked about this on Skype, but I wanted to get the public in on this idea. How did this Persian Empire ascend like it did? Looking at modern-day Iran and the Middle East, it is hard to imagine a superpower coming from a region that, aside from oil, which would, devalue either, which would be devalued either by new technologies or simply by sucking it all up, has no real resources. The region is very religiously stuck in the medieval age, and if there wasn't so much demand for oil, the place would be an absolute wreck. The place is constantly at war or the brink of war. One of the greatest scholarly empires of all time, destroyed by a combination of Mongols and European invasions. So my question and is... And
2: internal <laughs> fundamentalist backlash.
0: So my question is, how did Persia or the Middle East ascend into a military superpower given today's circumstances? I really just want the antithesis 2009 to 2125 history book.
2: <laughs> In very broad brushstrokes, first of all, oil, short of, um, short of the ability to synthesize oil extremely cheaply, which I think is coming eventually, but it's a ways off. Mm. Oil's not going to get cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond re- regular market fluctuations, mm-hmm. and the rarer it gets, the more expensive it gets. So that's a goodly amount of power. But will but, it
1: be? Will it stay as necessary as it gets more expensive? People will find alternatives. No, it won't stay as
2: necessary. Um, there's a number of other mineral resources in the region. They've got phosphorus deposits. Mm. They've got um, silicon. Lots of silicon.
1: Oh, that'll be important.
2: Mm-hmm. And, um, but uh, it is one of the things. You'll notice, if you listen back carefully, is the Persian Empire is not an Islamic empire. Right. It is a Zoroastrian empire. In the 2030s, there is finally a nuclear exchange between Pakistan and India. Mm -hmm. And because of the automatic um, missile response counterattack systems, China and large swaths of the Arabian Middle East get wiped out in the crossfire.
1: Because I could see if um, yeah, I mean, not all of China, but the coastal regions. I would of China. think that, that Israel would have some automatic launch systems that would get triggered if mm. Isra-
2: Israel and the, the western portions of the Middle East stay out of it, which is one of the reasons mm. Persia survives. Ah. But at that point, when fundamentalist Sunni Islam and Wahhabism trigger a nuclear war, They lose their cultural street cred, Mm. and the uh, Zoroastrians, who are now a a very radical minority religion – not radical theologically, but they're radically not many of them. Right. There's like less than a million in the world. Yeah, less than a million in the world now in India and in um, Iran is where most of them are. Mm Mm-hmm. Rise up to fill the cultural void, and one of the reasons that it becomes the Persian Empire is that you don't see it on the news in the West, but if you follow um follow al Jazeera, you talk to journalists who've been in the region, Iran is right on the cusp of a major cultural revolution because its younger generation is largely secular, is very cosmopolitan, has absolutely no time for the um, power structure that exists now, so what I'm positing, the extreme long shot that I'm positing, because I found it dramatically interesting, is that the nuclear war knocks the last of the pins out from the existing Iranian power structure, and the Cosmopolitans and the Zoroastrians rise up to take control of the culture. But because they're very insular communities, they are not big on foreign trade, and so in order to maintain themselves, they They've conducted over the course of 70 years this campaign of territory creep where they make the surrounding poor nations in Africa and in Asia vassal states um, and gradually grow their empire that way.
1: Now, do the what happens with the um, the Middle Eastern uh, states like Iraq and Syria, do they become part of Persia? Yeah,
2: they become part of Persia.
1: Okay. And Israel obviously does not have... A problem with this because the Zoroastrians no, are not trying goes to wipe away. them out
2: Israel is gone by this point mm. Israel loses a war with Egypt oh. and is gone by about 2070
1: okay so so we're back to the Jews being the diaspora again yes gotcha so
2: that's um and that's referenced in um in one in one of the scenes on Mars Jim makes a passing reference to that
1: I would imagine that the Zoroastrians probably are much more tolerant of oh yeah the, Jews the Zoroastrians don't minority. have a problem with the
2: Jews yeah yeah
0: Last points I wanted to make were about my statement of antithesis as a classic. The reason I think this is true is because it explores a lot of themes that are very pertinent to this time period. It explores the changes in things like religion and philosophy and how we will adapt to our first baby steps into the cosmos. It explores ideas that should be bigger social issues, but have yet to see their time in the light like polyamory and the way politics plays a very big game of cloak and dagger. Mm. Thank you for your time. Keep up the good work, Tristan.
2: Thank you. It's, it's really nice to hear that the things that interest me and occupy my mental time are interesting to other people. That's Indeed.
1: Fun. Oh, that's, there's no bigger ego stroke than <sighs> that. Yeah. It's,
2: it's not, not even an ego stroke. It's just like, hey, I'm not the only crazy person in the room. It's also <laughs> nice to
0: know you're not sending your story out into the void right without the crea- void. generating a dialogue. Yeah, exactly. And it's,
2: and it's you know, the, 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 the variety of feedback, and you know this, and you will soon when you start getting fan mail. Mm-hmm. Um, we can only hope. The, the variety you get you know some people just find it really entertaining and some people find it really thought-provoking and it's just that variety is so much fun i don't mm-hmm.
0: think i'm gonna provoke a lot of thoughts
2: oh i don't know equating the uh, british empire with werewolves that's i mean you've got the regimental system the regimental system no you, doubt you've got fodder for a dozen science fiction con panels right there <laughs>
1: yeah that's gonna be good stuff <laughs> it is from Paul Ellard Cooley on Predestination, episode 20. I'm very much enjoying the book. I have just run through the last 20 episodes in five days.
2: Wow. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah. What kind mm. of job do you have there, Paul? It allows probably, you to do that kind probably of
1: Probably something repetitive.
2: <laughs> well, they are only about half an hour to 40 minutes apiece, so that's about two hours a day. Mm. It's like watching a movie. Mm.
1: Now I have to wait for the next fix. Sigh. Guess I'll just have to catch up on the other podcasts while I get my own next story out. Thanks for creating such a great world and focusing on the characters rather than just
2: the plot. Cheers. You're very welcome. Thank you for appreciating it. Mm -hmm.
3: I got a feedback from Zach Moore. Zach, the chair of the Apologia podcast Mm
2: -hmm. and a biochemist. I loved this feedback.
3: Wow. Wow. Doug just got about a thousand times more interesting. I can see now where some of your comments in the apologia discussion about death and longevity were stemming from. Well played, sir.
2: Thank you very much. I whooped loud enough when I read that that my neighbors complained. (laughs) When you get get compliments on your biochemistry from a biochemist, it is time to cheer! (laughs)
3: Yeah! (laughs) I was very
2: happy. Thank you very much, Zach
1: that was my colonel tide cheer for those
3: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, we are not, do not going bring there. up that episode
1: <laughs> <Tater>. <laughs> i'm
0: afraid i won't be able to pronounce this properly i think it's heiko heiko
2: uh, heiko yeah
0: heiko heiko Schaefer. hey dan i've started listening to antithesis after hearing of you as well as hearing you in the context of metamore city so i blame chris Yay!
2: <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Here, you guys welcome, on the,
0: the Metamorph feedback shows, as well as the sex roundtable, made me want to check out your other stuff. I figure I'll go back and re-listen to the episodes when I've caught up with the rest of the episodes. Confusion aside, I enjoy the gritty and dark feel of your universe and the awesome production a lot. Thank you. Looking forward to more and also to checking out your other material. What prompted me to send you mail bef- before being up to speed with your feed was your usage of the term Old Europe in dealing in. Episode 5. I was a bit puzzled by that, since I couldn't tell what your intention slash meaning of the term was. I was only aware of the term Old Europe in the context of Bushko propaganda. In that context, I think, the meaning didn't even include the UK. You used the term in the context of countries with a semi-royalist setup. Anyway, good stuff. Thanks a lot, and cheers from Germany.
2: Thank you, Heiko. And believe it or not, as... um. As much as I follow politics as a spectator sport, (laughs) um, I never had heard that uh, particular phrase employed as part of Bush Cheney propaganda or speech making, or at least I didn't remember it. I was meaning it as in pre European Union Europe, when the, uh, you know, back in the time when we could expect regularly every 60 or 70 years a major continent wide war. Over, you know, whose cousin was due for what throne and shit like that. I think
1: it was actually more frequent than that.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: But um, that... The good old days. Yeah, the good old days. (laughs) The European Union has changed the face of Europe hopefully forever. And, you know, not entirely for the better, but in that... (laughs) In the sense that there's not exploding into war all the time. Oh, wow, what an improvement. Yes, for everyone else. (laughs) For everyone else and for Europe. I true. mean think of who got think of what potential artists, philosophers and scientists got killed in those fucking wars. No,
0: it's so mildly dull. It's like shared currency rarely makes history.
2: Yeah, but the things that really change history rarely make history. Oh, that's true. No. Oh, now that's one for a sig file. <laughs> I like that. Thanks. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine what you know 100 years ago you could um have an exciting political thriller about France marching its troops through the channel and taking over london now the very idea is ridiculous mm-hmm. because they're de- interdependent on trade they've got a common currency it not takes... if you
3: talk to the french or the
2: well, british they yeah they posture a lot <laughs> but i mean
3: and and i think that tunnel is a highway
2: a highway and a train yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it's uh it's a whole different world than the one even i grew up in and it's really exciting
1: i remember when i was a kid and i 1988 i drew a map of what i thought that europe might look like 100 years in the future Mm -hmm. and i had this whole united states of europe thing that encompassed western and central europe Mm -hmm. and then i had um i had hypothesized that the soviet union would split and that you would end up with a piece of it that held on to the old soviet system and that you would have a piece of it that was free russia and then you'd have um belarus and ukraine and and the baltic states independent and i'm glad
2: i'm not the only one roughly my age who can remember the cold war and
1: i thought that it was like this totally um pie in the sky oh this will happen someday uh, and then later. the next year, the Berlin Wall fell. And I remember never, the
3: same thing never happening. forget that. huh.
1: And then in, I remember sitting around Christmas vacation at my aunt and uncle's house, hearing about the the attempted coup in mm-hmm. in, Russia. in Russia in 1991. Yep. And it's like New Year's Day, we wake up and the Soviet Union just doesn't exist anymore. And mm-hmm. it's like.
2: Wow. It was so exciting. I remember watching the Berlin Wall fall on live TV. I
0: remember my mom crying. She was yeah. in um, Czechoslovakia when the Russians came in.
2: Oh, so And so wow. you know, she
0: has all these memories. My mom is English for the mm-hmm.
2: listeners. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. yeah, I remember Tiananmen Square the year before mm-hmm. and watching that live on TV. And I was, yeah. tw- tw- I think, 12 for Tiananmen Square. And watching it and thinking... Yeah, that they they might win. Mm. Yeah, you know, we we might yeah. actually lose this, and then less than a year later, watching the Berlin Wall fall, and it was such a shock, and I was so happy.
3: Yeah, I I had an experience very similar to Chris's. Um, for me, it was a school project of of um on the history of Germany and the importance of Tag X, which was this mythologicalized um. Day of reunification that nobody actually believed in, but it, everybody wanted. Yes. And yes. It, it, it was something like six months later that it actually happened.
2: Whoa. Oh,
3: yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, we grew up in one of the most earth-shaking times to be alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, between (laughs) Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Union, free elections coming to South Africa. Mm -hmm.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, end of apartheid, that's right. And
0: we were running around in fluorescent colors and Uh ass wash jeans. (laughs) Jelly
2: shoes. Jordache. (laughs) Those of you in your 20s, you have no idea what you missed. Hmm. Oh, they'll get theirs. But. Oh, they'll get yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Next, next is he? Does he carry on?
1: Yeah, this is another Heiko uh, or Heiko or however you pronounce that. It's an interesting name. Heiko is German. Heiko. It looks Japanese. I know that's this what she I got thought Got Schaefer too. at the end of it. It's like, mm. hmm. So good. Insert local time of day, Dan.
2: Gute Nacht.
1: Someone already asked your choice of license, and you replied, to some extent, but I also wonder why you chose a no-derivatives flavor of this, the Creative Commons license. Was the possibility of getting your writing published and printed a concern, or did you just, oh, yes. do you just prefer that people don't write spinoffs? Not to sound like I'm complaining, I do think that every kind of CC license is, often, uh, is awesome, but as a Stallman fanboy, I have a certain bias for licensees that behave like the GPL.
2: Um, I may someday do something like the GPL in one of my universes. This is not that universe. This Mm. universe has a lot in it that is, for example, optionable for film material. Mm. And a no derivatives license protects me from people who say, ooh, I want to go make a movie. Right. Um, among other things. So, Mm. no, it's a very deliberate choice and, um, there are very good reasons that I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into that I don't want fan fiction or fan films done in this mm-hmm. universe. Mm-hmm.
1: He goes on, I like the idea of culture working in a more mashup way. Cory Doctorow likes suggesting a possible and desirable future with more permissive and mashup-friendly cultural artifacts. So I wonder about the forces in play and why authors choose one way or another. Again, cheers from Germany and keep up the great work. I,
2: I agree. Um... You know, uh, Mm -hmm. Doctorow has some interesting stuff to say on the subject. Stallman has some interesting stuff to say on the subject. And I've been Mm -hmm. a Linux evangelist for a decade now. Mm -hmm. Um, I intend to maintain control of my creations until either I die or I figure I've run their course on a business level. And then I intend to release them all the way. Mm -hmm. But uh, we we authors do have to be able to make some kind of a living on what we do Mm -hmm. um, as much as we like to contribute to the cultural dialogue. I think – Contributing back to the cultural dialogue and eventually going into the public domain rather than waiting for my great-grandchildren, if I was going to have any, to uh, decide they're tired of living off the inheritance. I think that's the responsible and honorable thing to do, Mm -hmm. and that's what I intend to do. But while I'm alive, I like to be able to eat, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree more. Although I must say that I am – I'm saying this off the record so far as my publishing house is concerned. But um, I am looking forward to fanfic. It's like Mm -hmm. one of the things that I I think is a hallmark as a writer of Mm -hmm. becoming you know part of the part yeah. of the culture once
2: i once i've got a publishing deal i'm not worried about fanfic but yeah. i don't want the mm-hmm. brand diluted yeah. i think my
0: them. my house is pretty progressive and yeah, i think they'll probably turn a blind eye to sure. it but you've already but got your though. print deal too i do that's true
2: and, and you, i don't have mine
1: yet and you're going to get so much slash for your characters i know i can not wait <laughs> For me,
2: choosing... You're going to have to do the Gail Carriger slash cast.
0: One of my betas got a little bored at the end of uh, the second book, I think, and started just recommending slash pairings in the market. <laughs> Very
1: good. Very good. Was that one of your Armenian lovers?
0: That was, yes, one of the Armenian lovers. Yeah. Excellent.
2: <laughs> yeah, I... She always recommends slash pairings of everybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Including real life people. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm... I love her. <laughs>
1: I just got Dan, and he was taking a some scotch. <laughs> Snarfed my
2: scotch, man. Ouch.
3: <laughs>
1: As for me, the reason why I chose the uh, Creative Commons Share Alike license for, or Attribution Share Alike license for Metamorph City was more pragmatic. It was because I didn't create the original universe that Metamorph City is based off of, so I was doing a Share Alike already, and so and so
2: you were forced to. And that's a yeah. GPL. The Share Alike is the is the Commons equivalent of the GPL. Right.
3: Okay, and I've got a slightly longer. Uh, uh, feedback this time from abby hilton hey dan this Woo-hoo! is abby from the prophet of penmadora podcast i found antithesis because of the feedback show you did with chris lester and i devoured it in about a week what? great stuff i heard a couple of your trailers and other podcasts and although they made me curious they didn't give me any hint of what the story is actually about if i'd Uh-oh. had a hint I might have come over here sooner. I'm not sure I've heard anyone on this podcast summarize the story as I see it, so I'm going to. Thank you. This is what I tell my friends to get them interested. I say, this is the American Revolution in space with planetary settlements playing the role of the colonies, America playing the role of Great Britain, and the Persians playing the role of the French. Mm, In addition, there's a whole bunch of cloak and dagger stuff, fun technology, a poker motif, lots of literary and biblical references, and plenty of sex. You should try it. And
2: cross dressing, that's right. Don't
3: discount the cross
2: dressing. Mm -hmm.
3: Cross dressing is always good. If anyone is looking for a way to pitch this to their friends, this is my suggestion. I also love that you've got colonies called Sidon and Nineveh. That's lovely. (laughs) Thank you. Also, there's one point that made me very happy where Cassie says something to Joss about the line of black that bends and floats in the rising tide like a bridge of of boats. boats. I memorized Paul Revere's ride in fifth grade, and I can still quote large chunks of the poem. If you'd said one if by land and two if by sea, everyone would have known what you were talking about, but you used an obscure line. So those Mm -hmm. of us who actually know the poem could get warm fuzzies. That
0: made me happy. That's a cookie.
2: And we were talking about cookies
0: on a different feedback. There's
2: a lot of those buried in there. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I'm glad you caught that, Abby. And, yeah, I I didn't want to do one if by land and two if by sea for two reasons. A, it's obvious and cliched because everyone quotes it. And, two, it didn't actually work in the context of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas when he says, uh, what are you trying to do? And she quotes that. That's a visual of the – of the opposing force and uh, so I thought that fit the conversation better as well. And,
3: and that's one of those that actually works if you don't know the poem right. too. So mm-hmm. you, you can get a it is a visual reference. right? Uh, what
1: I'm waiting to see is the bedraggled, long haired, scruffy looking guy who comes on to the space station telling them that they're going to be destroyed in three days unless they <laughs> repent. <laughs>
2: Funny you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> not repent but there is a point at the beginning of book five book five opens with a man who has been starving and in and stuck in a small escape pod for weeks he is he has gone crazy and he walks in he's picked up and starts raving about finding the um, Finding the Entrance to God's Throne Room. And that kicks off book five.
3: (laughs) And if if I can let the world in on one secret, you've already met him. Yes, you have. (sighs) Okay, and uh, finishing off her feedback now. If you'll just quote the rhyme of the ancient mariner, my life will be complete. <laughs> Thanks for an awesome podcast. How about the highwaymen? Uh, highway uh, I don't know man. the highwaymen.
2: The
0: highwaymen
1: oh, came I riding, play riding. The highwaymen for you, Lorena McKennett does a beautiful rendition.
2: Okay, well, I don't have the rhyme of the ancient mariner in it uh, yet, but I may work that in. The uh, down from ten does open with Coleridge's Xanadu, mm-hmm. though. Appropriately enough. Yes.
1: <laughs> There's going somebody in Antithesis is going to be referred to as an albatross at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes.
0: Yeah. I have an email here from Arnaud De Koch. Hello. Got introduced to your podcast via the feedback shows on Metamore City. What? I figured that someone with such a twisted sense of humor should make her an interesting podcast. <laughs> Thank Apparently, you. Apparently, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yes! So thank you for your podcast. It's a treat to listen to and helpful in improving my English, i.e. filling the obvious gaps a normal education in a language would have. You know, the words that earn the title explicit. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs>
0: Also, you have my thanks for your dangerously addictive discussions with Chris Lester on the feedback shows. They have quite a depth and, more often than not, give me a new point of view to think about. Best regards from Amsterdam, Arno.
1: Nice. And if somebody from Amsterdam thinks that you're dangerously addictive, that's. <laughs> <so> <laughs> <sense>. that <is laughs> Now I've just got to find out if my
2: friend who lives in Amsterdam is listening. Um, I would Ed, just
0: like to say that I love Amsterdam.
2: I've never been.
0: And this is from someone who is not interested in engaging, shall mm-hmm. we say? Um, it's a genuinely beautiful city, the cool. canal area. It's it's so on it's my stunning. list of
2: things to see. I haven't been to Europe yet, and I want to go so bad. But uh, Ed, if you're listening, Ed's my friend in Amsterdam, write in. I want to know if you've found me yet. It has started to pour. Pouring with rain out there, guys.
0: Hey, Welcome je to je California.
1: Je we are glad it adds a certain uh, mise-en-scene. <laughs> je ne sais quoi? Je ne sais quoi, see. If You need some water.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Chris is almost done with his
1: glass
2: He's of looking a little sloshed there.
0: <laughs> and his, and his, it was only one his finger. His nose has come over all shiny. <laughs>
1: um, David Desuerk continues in another email. Glad to hear Larry Bushy do the prologue to episode 21, or was that 12?
0: (laughs) Here we go again.
1: He would be a good candidate as an actor, as he has a normal, i.e. Canadian, accent. (laughs) (laughs) How's that? Two digs in one note.
2: Very nice. Very nice. (laughs) Cheers, David. Yes. Oh, and I was so happy to get Larry on. Larry gave me my first ever interview. Uh, back a year and a half ago on someone else's podcast. He had me on to going Linux to Pimp Sculpting God and my Linux Journal articles. And he had me back on this year to Pimp uh, Predestination. Aww. and He's going to have Aww. me on again for the next one. And Larry fucking rocks. And if you're curious about Linux... He runs a really good show, GoingLinux.com. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun.
1: So he interviewed you about
2: your novels yeah. for Going Linux? Well, I'm using Linux to produce them. So we talked about the production end of things. And gotcha. Was that the
0: same show where you talked briefly about the Northern California Experimental firing Group? I believe so, yeah. Interesting. I caught a bit of that joke.
2: Oh, fabulous.
3: <laughs> All right. And we've got some from Patty Heaney. Mm, here Uh-oh. we go. Here
2: we go. By the way, Patty, I'm not going to play your voicemail because it was not coherent enough. And it was 27 minutes and 48 seconds long.
1: Next time Robin cut her off about four shots
2: earlier. Yeah, and that'll be good. But I am going to have Kitty read your text, so...
3: And um, Patty Heaney sends a feedback entitled Recursivity. It is a word now. <laughs> Howdy. You ever get the feeling that your feedback is taking on a life of its own? Well, you <laughs> no, should. No,
2: never, never.
3: To <laughs> Keep illustra- it away.
2: <laughs> Sorry, what?
3: <laughs> to illustrate that, I bring you my purely recursive email. So, what is this only one kind of help that I seem to need? And does it come with <laughs> chocolate frosting? <laughs> I love how you're now playing other feedback during my feedback in response to my talking points. I feel special. You
1: are special, Patty. You're so special.
2: Very,
3: very special.
2: You guys can go on about the specialness. I am going to lose a listener if I say (laughs) I'm kidding. Uncle Lester
3: sure whines a lot when someone calls him out. Dan, you you're right. How one studies history on a secondary school level is totally different from the stuff serious historians do for a living. No, it's, like, it's, it's like comparing a fifth grade health class to medical school. Normally, I'd launch into an intellectual smackdown on this. But Chris is already bound up unwittingly in so many of my fiendish plots. So all I'll say here is, mwah!
2: Well, the, yeah, that reminds me of the... um. When Sarah Palin said that she was an expert on foreign policy because she could see Russia from her doorstep, someone on the internet—and I don't know who—but it got retweeted to me. Replied, "If that makes her an expert on foreign policy, then years of being on the internet makes me a gynecologist." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Quick aside: Have you seen the the fake bumper sticker for Sarah Palin twenty twelve? No. The motto is, "Hey, the world's supposed to end anyway." <laughs>
3: Nice. Uh, Patty adds, I like the intellectual salon idea so much so I'm thinking about crashing it. Because what's an intellectual conversation without opposing views of reality? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and you have to take that in context with her comments last time on how relativity wasn't really all that relative or something like that. <laughs> so now for something she means different. opposing views of reality in a fundamental way. <laughs>
3: and she continues okay dude buying a sword for foley seriously geek-tastic thank you at least keep it by your front door in case door-to-door religious salesmen come by
0: let's say i have this friend okay who has her very own special way of dealing with door-to-doors
2: oh do tell
0: she likes to strip down to extremely scandalous lingerie. This is an excellent <sighs> <Nice>! way. <laughs> Let me just say, if you want to deal with them quickly.
2: Yeah, well, they would certainly run away from me a lot faster than they run <laughs> away from your friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That would> be-
3: <laughs>
2: but no, if I'm, if I'm ever feeling really sadistic, I do um, talk theology at them until they crawl away a quivering mess. See, now part of me
1: wants to see a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses show up at the door during
2: frack party. (laughs) Oh, boy.
0: Oh, my God. It's It's Dakar's Converse.
2: I worked on a short film once. (laughs) was director of photography on a short film that was all about two Jehovah's Witnesses who beat up and mugged two Mormon missionaries because of territory disputes. It,
0: It
2: was great. It was like a mob film.
0: It was a mob film. Fantastic.
2: Uh, I've oh, got the Mormons a would be even to. better
1: because the the frack party's got the whole you know bisexual <laughs> man
2: love thing going <laughs> on. Oh, bisexual can... everyone love thing going that, on. Yeah, that's true. We but just, I'm particularly we just
0: sick. Pretty boy on them. There you go.
2: Oh, sick. sick on
0: them. <laughs> and then, <laughs>
1: and... Oh, God <laughs> versus the Mormon missionaries. <laughs>
0: Whose handle, ladies and gentlemen, is the gateway by. Yes. And then throw in Joel as a second string. Yes. Oh dear. They wouldn't stand a chance. I
2: know.
1: I, I am about as heterosexual as they come, and even I have to confess that he's a pretty man. So.
3: Oh, and since you ask, my idea for antithesis swag a poster with an eagle bearing the text. This poster is not intended to hide secret safes containing spy gear.
2: <laughs> That's actually a good idea. I like that. <laughs>
3: yes. Thank you very much.
2: It's going on the list.
3: And now I have competition in the death threat category. I'm going to have to knuckle under and get um, surreal. Well, more than usual anyway. Also, since More this... surreal than usual Una. for Patty? Gunnel. Fasten your seatbelts, guys. <laughs> also, since ride. this is a purely recursive email, I'm going with a recursive death threat. <laughs> I shall fake an invita- invitation to a secret meeting with your illegal contacts at CERN who help you add gravitas to your performances by fixing you up with dark matter <laughs> that, takes <place> in, <laughs> that takes place at the Large Hadron Collider Hadron. after it's back online. <laughs> Is the Large
2: Hadron Collider offline? Yeah, it is. Oh, uh, yeah. by the way, um, there's a wonderful website for those of you who are worried about it. Okay. www has the Large Hadron Collider destroyed the Earth yet. dot com. T- check it out; <laughs> it's very informative.
3: I'm sure it's highly educational. Yes, there through a freakish reaction between one of Chris's Welsh Corky fantasies, a small rotary fan. <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a <wait>, minute! <laughs>
1: back up! Back up! Because I heard the word Chris's Welsh, Welsh Corky, Corky fantasies. Fan. I do not think that I've ever had any Welsh Corgi
2: fantasies.
1: <laughs> At least I hope I haven't. And She's I've, a
2: time traveler too, you know.
1: <laughs> I've had some weird freaking dreams the last week, but none of them involved a Welsh
2: Corgi. Well, this was that's because you had the Martian death flu. Next month, you see, you're scheduled for the Welsh death flu. Oh. See when
3: I, when she says something like this, I'm I'm imagining um, that one character from Torchwood that had that thing for poodles. Ew. <laughs> James
2: Marster's character. Yes, yes. (laughs)
3: Um, Okay, between one of Chris's Welsh corgi fantasies, a small rotary fan, and the main particle stream, you shall find yourself pledged into a black hole that lands you back in time in the form of an armadillo. (laughs) The scientists at at the LHC, not being familiar with American wildlife, mail you back to the States where you end up at my secret laboratory in the high desert and thus take place... In the stampede of your brethren that ultimately causes you to burst into flames, following the plan in <laughs> my first death threats. Yes, the stampede of flaming armadillos. Worse, because you've clearly broken some physical and grammatical laws in all this time and space travel. Pip shall order you imprisoned in the top secret librarian's fortress dungeons, where you shall be eaten by a massive, heavily mutated Tasmanian devil. Snuggles, Patty Heaney. I was going to say that that last Up part wasn't Up until the last, sounded half of the last sentence. Yeah. sounded kind of fun. Impressive.
2: <laughs> Very impressive, Patty. Thank Although
3: you. Tasmanian devils do not occur in New Zealand. Then
2: again, she's breaking so many other laws of the universe. That's the end of Part 1 of Dealing In Episode 7. Join us for Part 2 in another day or so. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you rig the game.